You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, we're talking all things light and how it impacts your health and your hormones. We're sitting down with my good friend, Sarah Kleiner. She's a health and wellness expert. And while I knew sunlight and daylight were important for circadian rhythm, for vitamin D synthesis, for mitochondrial function, I didn't understand it as deeply as I do now since I've been following Sarah's content. I absolutely love what she has to say, so I had to bring her on the pod. And trust me, this is not a boring conversation. You are gonna absolutely love it. You can go outside and get light in your eyes and on your skin and have profound health benefits. So let's jump in. I've never been big on skincare, but recently started getting more serious as the signs of aging are definitely showing. I've recently started using an incredible skincare line and I'm excited and wanted to share with you. The past few years, my skin has been doing this annoying combo between an allergic prickly heat rash and a perimenopausal rosacea and it drives me nuts. My buddy Andy Nilo owns a skincare line and so I reached out to him for help. Andy is the best dude and he kindly sent me a big box of products to try and let me just say, wow, I am in love with Alatura skincare. Each and every product from Alatura is a game changer for my skin. The products feel amazing and my skin is calm and clear again. Alatura is handcrafted natural skincare. Their mission is simple, to provide customers a skincare wellness experience with products made of superior natural ingredients packed with nutrients, minerals, and natural growth factors. Alatura is the skincare line I've been looking for and it checks all the boxes. It's all natural, cruelty-free, non-toxic, non-GMO, and as organic as possible. Listeners of the Dr. Tina Show can now save 20% off your first order by heading to alatura.com. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com. And be sure to use code Dr. Tina at checkout for the discount or simply click the link in the show notes. You're going to love it. Sarah Kleiner, welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. I am so excited to have you here. You are uh, somebody I've been wanting to interview for a long time because you have such a breadth of knowledge. And today we're going to talk about some really exciting topics like light, circadian rhythm, uh, blue light, all the questions I've been getting on those topics. So welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of yours and your show. So I'm just psyched to be here today and chat with you. Yay. Well, this is so fun. We are actually friends, you guys, off camera. So we, uh, we've we been talking about this for a long time. And Sarah, you just had me on your show and that was so fun. So I am sure this is going to be just as lovely of, as, of an experience. So I wanted to ask you a bit about, you have an interesting backstory on how you got into this whole light and circadian rhythm and leptin and all of that. And your Instagram, I've watched it morph and change a bit over the years. So how did that transition happen? Yeah. Um, well, long story short, in 2019, I was dealing with a lot of digestive issues and just like skin issues and bloating. And uh, I was just convinced my life, you know, everything was falling apart. So a friend of mine who's a functional medicine doctor said, why don't you try this carnivore diet thing I'm doing? I could run all your labs, we could go, but I think a lot of what you're dealing with could be fixed with a carnivore diet. And I was like, this woman's effing insane. Like, why would I ever do a stupid diet like that? But I was at this point of just kind of desperation. I was teaching yoga full-time. So I was a full-time yoga teacher, had been for 12 years. And I said, you know what? What do I have to lose? I can't, I'm having trouble like practicing yoga because my joint, my joints hurt so bad. I'm bloated all the time. I'm showing up to teach looking five months pregnant. So I jumped on, I did a carnivore diet and I, within just a couple of weeks, a lot of those issues were gone. Um, and so as a joke, I started an Instagram page just to kind of keep myself motivated because I didn't really know anybody else doing the carnivore diet like anywhere, especially being a yoga teacher where everyone's vegan or vegetarian. And so I started this page called the Carnivore Yogi or Carnivore Yogi as a joke. And um, it kind of just like went viral. Uh, <laughs> it was like very quickly got 10,000 followers People were just like, who is this woman who teaches yoga and she's doing the carnivore diet? <laughs> right. It doesn't go together. Like I see it's the... It's not. It's very <laughs> polarizing. It was... <laughs> you know me offline, like I don't really love to be like a polar... I'm a nice person. I love to be polarizing. And so um, that was kind of always like a conflict. And then after about, I would say a year or so of doing carnivore, I started running into some issues. 
um, with it. I don't think anyone needs to do those diets long-term, but I started having some hormonal issues, thyroid issues. And um, then I decided I wanted to try to get pregnant, you know, because it's what everyone does when they're in their forties. Uh, so like, <laughs> I remember that I was like, she's getting pregnant. That's, that's a, that's bold. <laughs> not easy. It's not easy. And you know, the carnivore diet was not helping me with fertility, even though mm -hmm. I know there are some doctors out there that say it is the diet for fertility. I strongly disagree. Um, my hormones were low. Thyroid was not happy, um, had gained weight like what seemed like out of nowhere, uh, was doing it carnivore fasting, electrolyte, you know, all the things. I was trying it every which way. Oh, and I had this YouTube channel where I was, so you can go and watch the downfall of carnivore yogi, kind of like, <laughs> I haven't deleted all those videos, but it's like, uh, now I'm counting my macros and here's why. And here's a day in my life of counting macros. And here's a day in my life, high fat carnivore. Here's a day in my life of fasting. Here's a day in my life of not fast. Just like I, I shouldn't need to like delete those videos. But anyway, was not working. Started trying to get pregnant. Didn't tell anyone. Started having miscarriages, which are, they Aww. suck. Like having miscarriages, I would hear other people have that, that happened to them. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really sad. But like going through it yourself, it's like, man, it's really hard. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to just try IVF. I have, I have a daughter who is 16 with non-speaking autism. And so a lot of people are like, why'd you wait? you know, until you're 41, 40 to start having a baby while a very challenging um, child. And we kept thinking it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. And it never got easier. Um, it got a little bit, it, we had a little bit of a better time, which is why we're like, okay, let's do this. Um, didn't know it was going to take us two years. So we did the IVF thing, which I don't recommend, highly do not recommend. And in, when I was in the middle of IVF, I had my own podcast. It was the Carnivore Yogi podcast at the time. And I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Jack Cruz. And he basically, and I was everyone I was interviewing at that point, as soon as the camera was off, record was off, I was like picking their brain about fertility, about, you know, everything. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so everyone I was interviewing, I'm like, okay, so what do you know about pregnancy after 40? And, da, da, da. and everyone was really kind. Everyone was really nice. Um, you know, this particular carnivore doctor, who's also a fertility doctor, just gave me his phone number. I mean, there's so many amazing, nice people that I have met in this journey. Um, but Cruz was the first person who was like, you need to study light. You need to study leptin. You need to, he's like, carnivore diet is not something you need to be doing year round. Like he kind of just set me straight, but he basically told me the story of light and how this impacts our hormones and how this impacts our thyroid. And I, it kind of made me think like, holy crap, I've been so obsessed with food. Like I did vegan, I've done vegetarian, I've tried every diet that there is AIP, paleo, um, mm -hmm. cabbage, like forget it. I've done it all. And that was always the focus of like, I'm going to heal myself with food. And that's how, trust me, I still think it's important. But he was kind of the first one who got me thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm missing this whole other piece here. And so this is what I do. I dive in. <laughs> like... I got to know everything about this. I got to study all about this. You know, reading um, Jack's blogs can be like, oh, like you need a freaking medical degree to get through some of his blogs. But I did. I, oh, I have a medical degree and it's a, it's still daunting. <laughs> He's very, very hard. Yeah. So I give Jack credit for a lot of things, um, but it pushed me towards a lot more research and a lot more reading and a lot more like, you know, learning about structured water and learning about cold and learning about all the stuff, but leptin was my primary focus. And so I decided in the middle of IVF, which I did two rounds, both of them didn't work. We never got any viable embryos. So I'm just doing this. I'm diving in both feet. I'm going to just do the light thing. So I was outside every morning at sunrise, bare feet on the ground every single day. Blue blockers came on as soon as sunset hit every single day. Food, I switched that up to be a little bit more of a seasonal approach. So I started adding in a few things. I still did keto. I still did some carnivore. I still did some fasting, but I did it more on a circadian schedule. So I never, I stopped skipping breakfast. Um, I actually cut out coffee for a long time. 
And, uh, you know, I don't think coffee's the devil, but I think it can be good to come off of. And, you know, in the midst of this, and I wasn't trying to lose weight, I dropped 30 pounds because I had put on 20 pounds doing carnivore at the end of that last year. And I was really pissed about it. <laughs> like, how do you gain 20 pounds without even eating any sugar? Like, how is this possible? But it happens. It happens all the time, especially yeah. once you hit, once you hit 40, you know, your body, it, you change. Um, and so the 30 pounds just like melted off of me within just a couple of months. And then lo and behold, January of 2022 got a positive pregnancy test. Um, Yay. Of course, I was terrified because I had, you know, the pregnancy losses. But yeah, when we went to our first appointment for the heartbeat and he, James is now 16 months. He's just most amazing little boy, like so funny, so funny. So you know, that was really why I switched to being Sarah Kleiner Wellness away from Carnivore Yogi and why I've changed my entire message um, and the way that I practice because I've been practicing nutrition and coaching with people for years now. But now I lead with light. Um, nutrition's part of it, but I lead with light. So that's long story short. Not not really short, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's I mean, I've watched I watched the whole thing. So I it's it's really interesting to hear it because I've never asked you, but I kind of watched that whole transition happen and I didn't really know what the backstory was. So and I did not know you were trying to get pregnant. I just remember when you were pregnant and I was like, oh my gosh, she's pregnant, you know, and that's you just don't see that as often in women in their 40s. And I was so excited for you because you, you know, you you had uh you had such a beautiful you just look so beautiful in all of your photos. And I was like, oh, she's thriving, you know. This isn't sometimes when folks get pregnant, it's for me, you know, I was not in a great place when I got pregnant with my daughter and it was really devastating to my health. I mean, I just very quickly went downhill and you could see it in the photos as I progressed. And I see that happen online a lot where people are enjoying really robust health and then they get pregnant and it's like, oh geez, you know? And so it was testament to what you were teaching and what you were preaching about light because looking at your past photos and you've shared out your weight loss journey as well, which I want to hit on. I was like, she's going to bottom out if, you know, I mean, potentially I, I was not hoping for that, of course, but you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh gosh, like if that's your kind of your backstory of your body, oftentimes those thyroid issues and those issues will rear their head in pregnancy. And I was like, oh gosh, I, you know, I hope she is able to stay the course and you just got more and more beautiful and ethereal and more pregnant. And I was like, whatever she's doing is the thing, <laughs> like whatever she's doing. That's seriously, I, I really, it was, it was impressive. So anyway, I'm so glad I'm so so happy you have your beautiful boy and all is well with with that. And then you dropped the weight like it was no problem, which is also pretty damn difficult in your 40s. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And, you know, I don't want any women to feel like bad because it is difficult. I was like breastfeeding does make it a lot harder for some women to lose weight. It definitely, my body was holding on to a lot of weight while my son was exclusively breastfeeding. When he started eating more food, and I was able to breastfeed him a little bit less, more less frequently. Then my body was like, oh, okay, we are not the sole source of nutrition for the baby. But I have like photos of myself after, you know, six months postpartum where I'm exclusively breastfeeding and I'm still, you know, still had a good amount of weight to lose. Um, I had I did get on the scale when he was about six months old. And since then I have dropped about 40 pounds. Um, wow. And I haven't been I have not been dieting. I have not actually been back to the gym and I'm not proud of, I, I think people need to work out and they need to lift weights and they need to move their body and exercise. But um, I just haven't been able to do that yet. My daughter's had some health issues and been raising a baby. And so all of my weight loss and how this has happened has been from basically implementing my leptin protocol, which is largely based around light. There are some nutritional principles in there but this experience at age 44, because a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, you lose the weight. You look amazing before you get pregnant now. And I ate, you know, I gained some weight when I was pregnant, obviously. <laughs> you still looked great though. You looked very healthy throughout the whole process, honestly. I, and I say that from a vitality standpoint, like I, I can look at people and judge their vitality just by looking at them and I can see hormonal imbalances. I can see thyroid issues pretty easily. It's kind of like my sixth sense, you know, and you looked really lovely through the whole process. I mean, 
it's normal to have extra weight on you six months postpartum, of course. And I, and you just really, you did it. It looked effortless. I'm not saying it was, I don't know, but you made it look really graceful. And that was what stumped me and like drove me even deeper and harder into this work is that I've been in high school, I was 230 pounds. Wow. In my 20, yeah, in my 20s, I'm probably about 140 now. I'm five foot seven, maybe, maybe a little less depending on the day. It's like week before my cycle. So there's a couple extra pounds there, but you know, 135, 140. Um, but in high school, I was 230. In my 20s, I, and then I lost the weight and then I gained it back after my dad died. Then I lost the weight. Then I gained it back when my daughter, I was pregnant with my daughter. And it's like, I've just ballooned up and down by a hundred pounds multiple times. Wow. Um, and then in my thirties, I just really struggled with that extra, you know, 20, 30 pounds. You know, that's where I've been struggling with for multiple years. And so this, this work around leptin and light to me is so powerful because it's literally the first time in my life I'm not bouncing up and down 20, 30 pounds. Um, and it hasn't been, I have not been tracking my steps. I have not been tracking my calories. I don't do all of that stuff because you know what? It never worked for me. It actually made me crazier. And oh, yeah. It drove up inflammation. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. It, it, I am not a macro person. People always ask me about that. And I'm like, dude, I had so much anorexia, bulimia, and then orthorexia throughout my life. I do not need to be counting macros. <laughs> I just, I am with you. And you've actually changed my behaviors through watching your process. I've realized that A, Oregon is probably killing me with the lack of light for sure. And I love this state, but I, yeah, the winter's here. It's nine months of gray. And I really, at this point, I've been saying for years, I need to get out of here in the winter, but I really, this winter, I've decided like I'm 50, I am financially stable, I can work from anywhere, I will not spend next winter here. I say that every winter, but I, I vow it to here and now to you and to my entire audience. I will not be here next winter. <laughs> and B, the whole skipping breakfast thing, like that was my jam, right? Like just crank the coffee in the morning and eat around 11. And I, while I still am not great with breakfast breakfast, uh, and I will not give up coffee. You'd have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Uh, it brings me too much joy. I have definitely put a check on how much I am consuming and paid more attention to that. And then I definitely am getting light in the morning. As I, it, The puppy helps uh, quite a bit, I will admit, but I get out there every morning and I think of you every single day. I'm not kidding, Sarah. I get out there every single day. Sometimes it is the wind is blowing the rain sideways and it is pelting me. And I'm like... I'm going to get the freaking light in my eyes. <laughs> That's the last thing. I don't even know where it is because it's so gray outside sometimes and I can't even tell where the horizon, I, I know which direction to look, but you know, it's it's not, it doesn't look any different 360. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay out here for 20 minutes and walk around in circles around my house. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> for your next home, I highly, highly recommend a screened in porch. Because a screen is only going to block out like 5% of the light. You're all, you're going to get like most of the beneficial signals. So on days like that, I'm like huddled in a blanket on my screened-in porch. Like the, it's a screened-in porch that faces east is... I will. I know I will have that in my next... Anywhere I move to, we'll have to have that. Screened-in porch. What do you think about those domes, those clear plastic domes? Have you seen those? I have. I I don't think I have, but I'd be curious, like, to measure with a spectrometer to see what it's what? blocking out. Yes, because that's the thing. You know, a lot of people I'll hear influencers be like, "In the morning, to set your circadian rhythm, go over to your window and open the blinds." <laughs> I'm like, and then pull the glass up because, yeah, you know, modern glass blocks uh, red, near infrared, UV. Um, you'll get a little bit of it but it blocks a lot of the red and infrared. And so you're getting a heavy, heavy dose of blue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would be curious to just measure with a spectrometer to see what it's blocking, what, you can, what can actually get through. Maybe a lot of it can get through, but yeah, it's always interesting to measure. 
Electrolyte imbalances are so common and can cause symptoms such as headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, dizziness, weakness, and more. I finally committed to using electrolytes daily and wow, have I noticed a difference in my energy and my performance in the gym. While I've tried nearly all the brands, my current electrolyte of choice is Element. Element helps anyone stay hydrated without the sugar and other dodgy ingredients found in popular electrolyte and sports drinks. And it's so tasty. Grapefruit salt is my current favorite flavor. Element has everything you need and nothing you don't. That means science-backed electrolyte ratios with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I've teamed up with Element and they've been gracious enough to offer a free gift with purchase to listeners of the Dr. Tina Show. The free gift Element sample pack includes one packet of every flavor. This is the perfect offer for anyone who's interested in trying all of their flavors. They offer a no questions asked return policy on all orders and you don't even have to send the product back. This offer is exclusively available for Dr. Tina Show listeners. So be sure to use the link in the show notes to take advantage of it now. It's a half dome and it's clear plastic and I they're they're not cheap but I my husband agreed to put one outside for me cuz I think I could just go sit out and hang out there all day and just some be some grounding in. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's got a floor. It's like a yurt except it's plastic. It's I don't know, I can't explain it, but it's very cool. I've got to find a company to sponsor me. <laughs> Send me one cuz I I want to test it out. Um, but you know, I was a big geek on sunlight a long time ago. I was telling my colleagues and my classmates way back in the early 2000s when I was in medical school, I was telling them that we photosynthesize and they were telling me that I was nuts. And I was the only person in class who would, I, well, I would skip class regularly just to go outside and get sun because we don't get so much of it here. And unfortunately, the classes that were in the afternoon on Fridays in the spring didn't get attended much because I was trying to go out and get some sunlight before it got dark. And Years later, here we are, right? Like we do photosynthesize. Our mitochondria literally do. And I was, I just knew from my biology background and my cellular biology background that, you know, mitochondria would act similarly to, you know, chlorophyll and chloroblasts in plant cells. And I'm like, well, that makes sense that we would need sunlight to activate the whole electron transport chain. Like that just seemed to make sense to me. And yet why would, I you know, why would it be any different in humans? And it wasn't until Jack Cruz's work, I found his work probably in the late 2000s and early, you know, I don't know, early 2010s. And it's really over your head kind of content, but he was speaking the truth and he was the first person that was backing that up. And we have so many studies now showing that getting sunlight is so good for you. And maybe not, a, you know, dozens of them, but we've got enough data now. And there's that long-term Swedish study on the Swedish women where they lived significantly longer when because they were sunbathers. It's like, it makes total sense to me. So anyway, I I think I think that you're on to the absolute, like 1000% correct path here with all of this. So let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about leptin and then Tell me why I don't, you were the first person to introduce the concept of it being a light molecule. So let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a master circadian signaling hormone. So it, it's activated by light, right? And it relies on darkness as well. And so leptin essentially is like an accountant. It tells your brain how much stored energy is on the body. And so we we talked about metabolic disease, metabolic disorders. So you become leptin resistant before you become insulin resistant. So you may not have any, uh, you you know, I get this in my group. Someone was like, well, here's my insulin. My insulin's like a 19 and that's normal. And I'm like, um, I hate to tell you that that's actually not no. normal. <laughs> um, two, between two to four is really more of the quote, what I would like to see. Uh, so we're already trending up there, but you know, your doctor's gonna say 19 is normal. It's, you know, so you might have these like quote unquote normal blood markers, but you can't lose weight. You have um, energy issues. You just you have appetite issues. You might eat a meal and feel hungry right afterwards. You feel this need to like snack all the time. You know, it's so leptin really, really yes, it's a satiety hormone. It's a hung, you know, it it really interplays with the appetite, but it does so many other things. It signals your thyroid. It signals your sex hormones. It's it kind of signals and controls the glucose insulin axis. There's a, I just pulled up a study on that last night. Um, I'm always pulling up studies on leptin, but it wasn't even really discovered until 1994. 
Um, and so a lot of people are still kind of like, no, it's that hunger hormone. No, I'm like, uh, no, check out, you know, and you and I were just talking about research. It's very easy to research things these days. Type in leptin and PCOS, leptin and hot flashes, huge correlation between leptin and hot flashes. Type in leptin and infertility. That's why I got into leptin because it's a huge, huge, it, it, it impacts your fertility hugely. And so um, leptin is supposed to dock to the hypothalamus between 12 and two at night when you're sleeping and give this report of like, I have X amount of stored energy on my body. So tomorrow thyroid, do this. Tomorrow, um, sex hormones, do this. We, we're safe enough to make a baby, right? We have the right amount of energy. But if that doesn't happen, and that cannot happen for multiple reasons that we can talk about, then you become leptin resistant. And all these systems are impacted. Even leptin signals the immune system. So leptin has a big arm in a lot of autoimmune conditions as well. People that get really bad mold exposure a lot of times have super, super high leptin levels. So there's a correlation there as well. Um, but it's just this the signal between the stored energy on your body, so your fat cells, and maybe the stored uh, glucose in the liver and the brain, it just doesn't happen. And so people continue to struggle with their metabolism, with this stubborn extra weight. And uh, it's, you know, if we start controlling the light, that's going to be a huge piece for leptin. So if you're shining your phone in your face, or you got a bunch of lights on in your room between 12 and two, or your TV's on, guess what's not happening? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and that's so, so just common habit at this point. You know, people, I catch myself doing it. I'm like, why am I on my, why am I letting blue light in? Why am I, you know, and we've been talking about blue light for a long, long time, but, and we've been talking about leptin for a while. Well, you know, I will say most doctors have no appreciation for leptin. So I can't say we have been talking because I was getting shit back in my clinical practice from my colleagues in the, you know, 2010s for running serum insulins on patients. And fasting serum insulins. And they were like, well, why are you doing that? They're not diabetic. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. We're trying to keep them from being. But honestly, most everybody had elevated serum insulins and leptin got very little appreciation for any of that. And then just the concept of leptin resistance, like you mentioned, let's talk about that a little bit more so people understand. So leptin is secreted by your fat cells. And when you lose fat, you also decrease your leptin. That's one of the reasons why keeping weight off is so challenging for people because, I mean, that's, I think you're onto a secret lock and key here because it's not just the losing the weight, it's the keeping it off part. That's the absolute challenge because you just lowered your leptin and your leptin has a lot to do with your hunger signaling. And so, like you mentioned, and so folks who are sort of bathing in excess adipose tissue are also bathing in excess leptin and the receptors in the brain will start to cleave off because they're like, we, we have enough, you know, it's like insulin. It's like, we have enough. And, and then adding in this light component makes complete sense. I mean, that's, that's really just like the lighter fluid and the fire, you know, this, this light piece that you, that you are so good at uh, talking about. So what, Talk about the 12 and two thing. And let's talk a little bit more about that because that's really interesting and I don't understand it completely. Yeah, well, no, that's just the time where this download essentially happens. And if you, and there's also an inverse relationship with melatonin as well. So you need to be secreting that pineal melatonin for that to happen. So if you're not, if you're not making enough melatonin, which again is signaled by the amount of blue light that's in, in your environment, um, that can create an issue. And yeah, it's it's basically just, a, it's all of our hormones are operating on a circadian rhythm. The gut clock operates on a circadian rhythm. I think that's what people don't understand about hormones in general is like, there's certain times a day when certain hormones are supposed to be released, right? Your gut, for example, yeah, and I was talking about this in my group today, you should need to poop every morning around sunrise. And if you don't, that's a, sign that you're not getting adequate morning sunlight. That's a sign that you have poor circadian health because your gut clock is meant to, uh, you're supposed to poop every morning. And so leptin, again, it's just one, it's a circadian hormone, but that's really when this energy information is supposed to happen to let leptin actually does dock to the brain during that time. I can imagine if folks have sleep issues 
and they're not getting to bed on time or they're not asleep during that time, that's probably going to screw everything up too. The pooping part, that's interesting. That explains why when you travel and you end up in different time zones, why you can't poop on, you know, on schedule. <laughs> you have pooping problems when you travel to different time zones. <laughs> it's true. It's That's so funny. Yeah. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Sarah Pugh, she stayed at my house for like six weeks uh, last year. And we were, she was on my zoom this morning with my group. And she's like, yeah, when I got to your house for like two weeks, my poop was all like five in the afternoon. It took me like two weeks to adjust to the morning schedule again. I'm like, yeah, cause you're coming from the UK to Atlanta. And it was, yeah, a bit of a jump. It's the pooping clock. You got a pooping clock. <laughs> I'll have to tell my husband about that. He'll think that's so funny. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you though. You were talking about leptin and uh, docking. I didn't mean to get us off track. Oh no, it's okay. Um, but things that can prevent that from happening again, of course, is the blue light. And then if insulin is elevated. So a lot of people eat too late at night or they'll eat something and their insulin is up. So leptin can't, do it competes at uh, with leptin for that docking space in the brain at night. So if you are eating a bedtime snack, that's like raising your insulin, you're eating too close to bed, that's raising your insulin, uh, leptin cannot dock. So that's why I'm huge on, you gotta cut your eating window off, you know, three, four hours before bed, or the earlier, the better. And I'm a big fan of, if you do wanna fast, skip dinner, don't skip your breakfast, right? Yes. Okay. So that is super, I did not know that they competed for the receptor. That's super interesting and it makes a ton of sense. Now, okay. So let's, let's just like troubleshoot this. I personally find if I don't get it, it's the secret for me is some cheese. If I eat a little bit of cheese at night around eight, eight to eight 30, like I try not to eat a meal past six, but I have to eat something between six and going to bed. Otherwise I'll wake up between two and three in the morning having some, I don't know if it's like a glucocorticoid issue. It's like that adrenal blood sugar kind of combo. Um, but cheese is like the magic ticket for me. A little bit of carbohydrate. So usually I'll do cheese and apples and I sleep like a champ. But I do think having some kind of high carbohydrate or ultra refined carbohydrate meal would be a real problem, like because of what you just said, because that's going to raise your insulin. So I am definitely choosing foods that aren't going to spike my insulin any. So I think that's probably why I can get away with it. But do you have any recommendations on for folks uh, as far as like who wake up in the middle of the night having something to eat? Is there a favorite food that you have? Or do you just say skip it all together? I say skip it all together if you can, because eating is a zeitgeiber, right? So it's a sec, it's a circadian signal secondary to light. So we've got uh, eating and we have temperature. Those two things are zeitgeibers. So again, light is your strongest signal for the circadian system, but food is also one. So mm -hmm. I really discourage people from eating in the night if they can help it. Um, I mean, I did, when I was pregnant the first trimester, I would wake up and I would have to have like a slice of cheese or I, literally I couldn't sleep like it, but it was only first trimester that that happened. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, but I do have people that are like, you know, I'm waking up, I'm really hungry. I'm like, well, then we need to maybe give you something more before bed, like a spoonful of coconut oil with some really nice crunchy salt. Sometimes it's a mineral issue um, that's waking them up also. So I'll do like a fat snack before bed. Cause that, like you said, with the cheese is not going to bring the insulin up. So there won't be that competition for docking space, but that's typically what I have people do. I also have people kind of, as they go through, get to the place where they're a little bit more fat adapted. So they can pull the fasting muscle a bit more. Cause I have a lot of people that come that want to lose 40, 50, 60 pounds. And so my goal with them is to not throw them into a keto diet in a week, that would be a freaking disaster. And then they wouldn't sleep. <laughs> and I get right. the people are like, I'm doing your leptin reset and I stopped sleeping. I'm like, what'd you do to your diet? Did you cut out the carbs? Well, yeah. I'm like, no, we're not doing that on week one. This is not okay. <laughs> you're, you're messing up your whole system right now. You're stressing your body out. So yeah. I, I will slowly bring them to a place. Some people come in eating six meals a day, you know, snacking all the time. And so it's a gradual process to get people to be more fat adapted. So they're more efficient in burning ketones. And I find that once we do that, and it can take some time for people, 
then there's less of that like night waking or even, you know, the bedtime snack with it's like a little bit of coconut oil or a pat of butter, some nice fat um, with a little crunchy sea salt that typically helps people. Okay. I'll try it. I'll give it a try. I've tried so many different things and I have just found throughout the years that, and I'm pretty well fat adapted. Like I can go long periods of time without eating and I don't get hangry and I don't get shaky. And I, I used to, I mean, keto was like my magic bullet when I was in school. I was doing the chiropractic college and the naturopathic medical school at the same time. And I would have weeks where finals weeks would overlap with each other. I mean, it was hell. And I was a single mom and had a little kid and keto was like my magic bullet. But you're right. You can't stay in these diets long-term. Like th these are not, these. I blew out my entire hormonal system as well. So like flatlined, you know, my Dutch test came back like, well, actually we didn't have Dutch then. It was ZRT. It was just like zero. Everything was zeroed out, <laughs> literally zero. And I was like, oh, I need some carbs. But I do, um, I do get that cortisol surge. And that was one of the first things I noticed when I tried to go really hardcore carnivore is I got such severe nighttime cortisol surges and I would wake up and just be you know, out of my mind with insomnia it was not fun. So that's a learning curve and figuring that part out is critical. Everyone's it, talking about and the carnivore and fasting community, autophagy and apoptosis. I'm like, uh, guess, guess what you need for those things to happen? You need melatonin. Melatonin. Guess what happens if you're awake? You're not making melatonin. So you're not getting these benefits. So that's where it's important for people to understand how to cycle the carbs in strategically, right? So, and when I say cycle carbs, some people are like, oh, she's telling me I need to start eating uh, sourdough bread and cake. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe a little sourdough, but no cake. <laughs> I, if, if somebody's got 50, 60 pounds to lose, I might be the mean person. I'm, I don't want you eating bread. I don't want you eating yeah, nuts. That's fair. No, that's totally fair. Just because I've seen it over the last three years, because I have a, you know, my 21 day program, I have a private group. They get a month of that when they buy the program because I don't want to just, I want to know what you're doing because I don't want people to say, oh, your program didn't work. Well, let's look at your food. Oh, you're eating sourdough bread three times a day. That's not in the program. Yes. <laughs> you know, so a lot of things can be up to interpretation. And when I have someone that has a, a lot of weight to lose, I have kind of a specific uh, list of foods that are going to be a lot more ideal for them to be eating. And when they do have the carb cycle days, because I think, you know, some people are going to need less of them. If you need to lose 50 pounds, you need less carb cycling days than someone who's trying to lose 20 pounds. But I think you still need them to maintain thyroid and hormone health. Again, carnivore people, keto people, come on, come on, come at me. Um, oh, they I will. Whole, I got a whole <laughs> bunch of ladies. I got a whole bunch of ladies with low T3 and bottomed out hormones from... <laughs> yeah doing that. And I was one of them from doing that stuff for years. But when we do the carb cycle, there's strategy, um, especially if someone is very carb intolerant because they have been carnivore keto for a long time. So there's, there's strategy around all of that. Um, and I think it is, it is necessary. I don't think you should be, and, and, you know, Jack was like seasonality, right? We have stronger UV in the summertime. So we should be eating if you're leptin sensitive. You, you can afford to eat more of those foods that are typically grown under UV light. Like food is light. We've made it into religion. We've made it into um, all this stuff. It's, food is another form of light, right? It, it has the signature of where you live and where you are and what time of year it is. So it's information. It's I, I think it's circadian information as well. Oh, absolutely. And I totally agree with that. I am definitely more fruit heavy in the summer because that's when it is growing. And I also think eating according to where you, you know, if you're closer to your, if you're closer genetically to your roots, um, like if you're first generation from China, you know, the foods that are grown in the environment that your genes developed in are, I think also a player here that very few people talk about and just eating within not necessarily, I mean, if you're like five generations in the US, it's different. But when folks start to just pay attention to, like you said, seasons, location, timing, all of that does matter to some degree. And we don't have to get crazy about it, but it's worth noting. I don't pound fruit in the winter because I only want to eat what's seasonal for also for like organic reasons. I don't feel like having my organic berries come up from wherever in the middle of the winter. It's not 
these are not the, probably the berries I should be eating. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of reasons for it, I guess, is what I'm getting at. But no, I'm totally with you. Um, so what do you think about people taking melatonin as a supplement? I, you know what, I used to be like so against it and then I'll probably get cruises, people coming for me. You know, I think that a lot of the studies and Russell Ryder is really a great one to, to look into his work um, around melatonin. I think a lot of the studies done on melatonin are very interesting and compelling. It's a master antioxidant, um, but they weren't done where people are optimizing their circadian environment because if there's blue light, uh, you're, you can't make melatonin. If insulin is up, you also can't make melatonin. If dopamine is up, you also can't make melatonin. So there's a lot of other factors. And, and we actually in UVA is when the body synthesizes serotonin, which is recycled into that night's pineal melatonin. Um, another thing about melatonin, you can make it subcellularly, the mitochondria make it in response to infrared light. So going, um, sitting in front of red light panel, or just going outside in the middle of the day, it's like 42, 43% of the sunlight that's available, even a cloudy day helps your body to make subcellular melatonin. So it's kind of like cleaning up little messes all day so that your pineal melatonin doesn't have to work as hard at night to do this repair and cleanup. So, you know, if someone wants to take melatonin, I think they should work with a practitioner to use it um, at a very low dose and only in like acute situations. I think it could be very helpful if somebody has an infection, um, you know, virus or something, you know, some major illness, cancer. Uh, I think it can be really a, a helpful thing for people to add in, but it needs to be pulsed and I think it needs to be at a low dose. Um, so I never say never, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree with everything you just said. And I have lots of reasons for it too. And I, I completely agree with you. That's how I've been practicing for the past many decades. And um, I'm not a huge fan of it at high doses. I'm not a huge fan of it all the time. It's it, You can really get in a lot of trouble. I, I want to shriek in horror when I hear people saying they're giving you know 50 milligrams a night to their kids. I'm like, oh no. no. Uh, and it, it only really Maybe if comes- if your kid has a brain injury, I mean- right. But- it only comes in high, generally, it, 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 I should say not only, it generally comes in very high doses from the health food store or wherever you're getting it. And so I've always stocked like one milligram tablets in my clinic. And I've heard so many sleep doctors talk about this. If you're going to take it, you want to, I mean, to go with your light conversation, you actually want to take it when the light starts dimming. That's when you're melatonin pulse is supposedly strongest from I'm maybe maybe this information's been updated and I'm wrong but somewhere around that like seven o'clock you know I guess it depends on the time of the, the year and when the light's going low in the sky but taking it earlier in the night is from what I understand more critical and tiny little doses that would be more matching to what your body would create not these super physiologic high well here we are having the conversation about super physiologic doses again like we did on your podcast when I was talking about GLP-1s like I just am not a fan of anything at high doses and you get into trouble so really matching that pulsatile window of your melatonin I think is so important but I love what you just said about all the daytime things that need to be in check I got my Dutch test back in 2019 and my melatonin and was completely bottomed out. And I was like, damn, I need to change my life up. Like that's really the first thought I had was like, that was the most concerning lab. I, I've gotten some concerning lab results. And that was probably one of the most concerning ones because people, if folks, if you're really low in melatonin, like you're looking at cancer. So I was like, oh geez, this is, my life is all screwed up. I, I wasn't thinking like I should go supplement melatonin at night. I was like, I got to get my shit together. I got to get my daytime. I was traveling a lot for work then. I was tremendously stressed out. I was having some pretty serious issues with my family and my daughter and my relationship and, and you know, everything was going to hell in a handbasket and uh, it had been for a couple of years. And so that was one of the big signals for me to change my life completely. It was one of the big reasons I actually left my practice, Sarah, like totally honestly, that, that melatonin, I haven't retested it. I probably should. I didn't want to know. I'm, I'm sort of at that place where I'm like, I'm just going to keep trying to do my best. <laughs> Listen to smart people like you. <laughs> so Wow. 
I mean, sometimes we get like a sign that it's like, you know, my infertility issues were, uh, they were horrible. It was, I don't want anyone to ever have to go through that sort of thing, but it was like, something has to change. You know, mm -hmm. I have to, I have to start doing something different because this diet only approach, the way I'm living my life, all it's clearly not working. Right. And just like the weight loss thing wasn't enough for me. It was like, I really want to have this baby. And so I have to figure this out. And the beautiful thing is that I changed the way that I started at that time, even in 2021, I started the, the changing the way that I was talking to the women who were coming uh, for health coaching, um, for nutritional counseling as a nutritionist. I changed all of that back in 2021. Start, they started having amazing results too. I mean, my whole group went, <laughs> went from like, a, like, let's all food, food, food to like women are posting pictures of themselves, like barefoot. They're posting sunrise pictures. Um, I had this ice vest um, that I was using for a little while for cold therapy. They're like <laughs> posting pictures on their ice vest. And it's just, it just got to be hilarious. And we still have a, lo a lot of fun in my group. It's a lot of like, um, you know, has been, you know, it just, it's funny. It's really funny, but just that fundamental change that happened in 2021 for me because of not being able to get pregnant ended up being a spark that shifted the way I look at everything. And then also my ability to help other people. Um, and it was scary to shift away from the whole carnivore thing because I had really kind of grown through that, but it was no longer was no longer serving me. I'm sure it was kind of the same with your medical practice. It's like, this is what I built my whole life around. Mm -hmm. And I've got this warning sign, this signal here that things are not optimal for me. And if I keep going down this road, it could get worse, right? Oh, for sure. It's that, it's that big flag, like something has gone wrong in the environment, change course, change course, you know, and, and seeing that melatonin reading. And I do take, I do take some supplemental melatonin here and there as needed. I probably could be a little more strategic with it, but um, you're, you're spot on. It's all the daytime stuff. That's it. And if your serotonin's all screwball, you're not going to make your melatonin and you're just taxing your poor pituitary gland anyway, which is already being hammered on by life and toxicity and just <laughs> everything else in the world, the common, you know, the modern world. So let's, let's talk about, so at, let's talk about that. Let's talk about as the sun is setting, what are some of the rituals that you do in your house? Cause I've called, I've talked to you and you've been sitting in front of a fire a lot. So I want you to explain that to the audience. Yeah. I mean, I love sitting in front of the fire. It's an amazing source of infrared. And so when, when we look at light and again, that signal blue light coming in through the retina tells your brain basically make cortisol, right? You can even have elevated blood glucose. It, it will even elevate your blood glucose in the absence of food. And this is very well documented in the literature. I'm not just making this up. <laughs> I can back up any of this. Um, but the reason why I have fire on is it's a great source of infrared. There's no blue in there. So it's not going to disrupt me uh, circadian wise. Um, infrared also expands exclusion zone water in your body up to fourfold. So that's really a nice, nice side benefit there. Um, but we all, you know, blue blockers come on and my house is really like dark. <laughs> like I'm in my office right now. The sun's going down soon. Um, soon it'll be totally dark in here. I'm just sitting in front of a window we have a ton of windows in the house. This window in front of me is open because it's a nice day. Um, and I put on blue blockers and then I have some bulbs that are either incandescent or they're just like blue, blue blocking bulbs um, that I have replaced a lot of the bulbs around the house and no overhead lights because think about what happens. The sun goes down. <laughs> and so it, it, to when you have a light way up overhead, especially a bright LED, your brain is like, oh shoot, it's noon. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I need to, I, I gotta catch up. I gotta surge some cortisol because it's noon, right? Um, or elevate your blood glucose. And so I'm very anti overhead light. Like my husband will turn it on and I'll be like, oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> he doesn't do it. Um, You're gonna mess everything up. I know I lose my mind. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm with you. I, I had the funniest thing happen last night, Sarah. I thought of you. We had, I let Sansa out. I let Sansa and Puppy out the front door. It was pretty late. I shouldn't have been up, but I was working on something. And I, um, Sansa 
bolted outside in just fierce. All of her hackles came up and she went, obviously there was like a coyote or something out there and she went for it. And it was a whole thing. I finally got her back. She went over to my mother-in-law's house. It was a whole thing. I finally got her back in the house. And it's at this point, it's midnight. My husband my husband is a sleeper. My husband does not mess around with his sleep and he sleeps hard and he sleeps well and he doesn't need the eye mask and the earplugs that I use. And I, my bedroom's like a tomb, you know, but he's, he can sleep through anything. And he, it's midnight and I forget what happened, but something happened with puppy and I flipped on the overhead, just it kind of in a, I was in a bit of a state because I was a bit scared because Sansa disappeared for a while. And when she came home, she was all fired up and I didn't know what had happened. Anyway, I flip on the overhead light and he's like, Tata, you can't have the overhead lights on because it screws up your Targaryen rhythm. He calls it his Targaryen, the, the Targaryen rhythm. And he's like, it's going to screw up your Targaryen rhythm. And it's signaling the receptors in your eyes and you can't have over... It was this whole thing. <laughs> and I just cracked up and turned off the light. <laughs> I was like, I have to tell Sarah this story because it was so... That is hilarious. He pulls my own cards on me, you know? He... he, he... <laughs> But yeah, that's a disaster having overhead lights on at night. It, and let's talk about the incandescent bulbs because as of August 1st, 2023, the Biden administration outlawed incandescent bulbs. And I only got notified of this a few days before it happened. So I literally placed an order for like $1,000 worth of incandescent bulbs on, on Amazon immediately and got them all. I have like a whole closet full of incandescent bulbs now because I don't know what I'm going to do. Like... I don't know what we're going to do. Like I looked at my husband and I'm like, this is single-handedly going to destroy the health of Americans. It is. And there are, I think California is the only place you can't buy them um, officially. You can still get them. You, you just can? can't buy this. Yeah, you can still get them. <laughs> so I just stocked up for no reason. <laughs> it's not in California. You can't get I got them a whole California. closet full of them if you want some. <laughs> I have, as you know, I have a, I have a, a ton of them as well because I did the same thing. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they're, they are uh, a lot better for your health than the LED bulbs. Um, and they don't have uh, blue. They are nice in infrared. Um, so they're much more circadian friendly. Um, and they're not as dangerous for you if they break. You know? Right, right, right. What a disaster. These do too. Yeah. The fluorescent bulbs coming in. You know, we talk about a lot about the demise of the human health in the United States. And we, everybody wants to blame it on the seed oils and the, you know, industrial food supply. But I have been saying, honestly, my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli, I went to work for him when I was uh, 24, I think. I just got out of undergrad and he was a naturopathic physician. He's the guy I always talk about. And he had all full spectrum bulbs, fluorescent bulbs, and just in our office space right above our heads. And he was slowly but surely transitioning all the bulbs out. And he taught me a lot about light way back in the 90s. And so I have been, a, I have been on this tip. I, Interestingly, when I got divorced several years ago, the first, it was winter. And the first thing I did was replace all the bulbs in the house with full spectrum incandescent because I looked at my daughter and I'm like, I am not going to go down. Like I am not going to go down from this winter depression and a divorce on top of it. So I, I totally get it. And I don't think people realize we started seeing the demise of our health when these bulbs got switched over back when you and I were young. It, it really is a disaster. And I remember even back when I got out of college, I went to work for Dr. Rick and I was getting paid peanuts. And my parents were like, you should go work at Intel. And I was like, there's no way I'm sitting in a cubicle all day under fluorescent lights. Just no, like, and I knew as a, as a young woman, like as a college woman, I knew that would destroy me and it would make me mentally deranged. I just knew that. And I don't think people realize they're sitting under these horrific bulbs all day long. And then they come home and they're staring. And how many of you listeners do this? My husband does it. He's staring at the TV, getting blasted with blue light. And then he's got his phone up against his face, getting blasted with blue light. And sometimes he'll have a computer going. And I'm not, I'm not much better. So I'll do that sometimes myself. And I'm like, what are we doing to ourselves? Well, I got to get you those blue blockers. <laughs> I'm going to hook, hook you up with my friend who wants to meet you, who has the blue blockers. This company, you got, I, I can't get my husband to wear them either. He's like biggest pain in my butt. So the only thing I can do is just 
control the lighting and scream at him if he turns the <laughs> overhead on, which he, he knows not to do anymore. I also have his phone. I have changed his phone. And this is not a substitute for blue blockers, but you can see my phone is uh, is like red. Yeah. So that's what I've done to his phone now too. And you can turn it off. You just click the button. You can do it on your shortcuts, go into your shortcuts and hit color filters. So if I click the button three times, it's like back to normal. Oh, then, okay. Yeah. Then I click it again three times and <gasps> to red. You're so smart. I learned so many smart things from you. Seriously. You're just a wealth of information. Um, I really want to have the cold therapy and the structured water conversation with you, but I think we have to do a different podcast for that. I think because that's that's a that's a big one. I think we should come back to that. I think we should stick with light for now because I have more questions. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I want to ask you about red light therapy. You talk about timing red light therapy. So we talked about the fire at night and that that type of light, but utilize, utilizing a red light panel. When do you suggest folks do that? And is that a morning thing, an evening thing? How to, how to best do that? Yeah. So I absolutely love red light therapy. And I got into red light therapy because I read a study about women who were having trouble getting pregnant and had multiple failed rounds of IVF and they had done red light therapy and had successful pregnancies. I think the oldest one was 50. And so I was like, wow, give me a panel. Yeah. Um, and the research on red light therapy is very extensive as well. So there's over like 6,000 different studies on red light therapy. Um, so I'm a huge fan. The thing about red light therapy is I don't think it needs to be super complicated. The best time of day to use it is when the sun's up. Um, you can go and dive into the literature and do different protocols. Dr. Mike, uh, have you, you've talked with Velkowski before. Oh yeah, I love Mike. Mike's been on the pod a few times. Yeah, he's he's the geek on the on the literature of it all. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to dive in and get a protocol for eyesight, then you might do red light therapy in the morning for three minutes, three times a week. The average person doesn't necessarily need to go ham with uh, protocols. <laughs> you, I just think using it during the day when the sun is up is great. Start off at five minutes, see how you feel. And I think max out at about 20 minutes. Um, and then you can kind of move the panel around your body. But what it really does on a cellular level is it increases that easy water in the body. Um, and it also encourages the mitochondria to make more deuterium depleted water. So it's it's got a lot of great mitochondrial benefits and it's wonderful for seasonal depression or just depression in general. There's a lot of literature around that. And um, yeah, I'm a huge fan. So during the day, I, I agree. Mike shared a study on the pod where he talked about how the mitochondria were most active when it was used in the morning. So I've been trying to use it in the morning and then I saw you had posted something about that as well. And so I was like, okay, I'm on the right track here with this. So I totally understand that skin exposure is important, but... I think our eyes have a lot to do with it too. And so I'm so cold here in Oregon in the mornings and I go down and I actually do Pilates in front of my red light and I'm in clothes, like I have clothes on. And when I go outside, I'm in clothes because I am freezing and the only thing showing is my hands and my face. So how much of a benefit am I getting by not actually, or, or am I losing, I should say, by not having my skin? Should I be naked doing Pilates? <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> how important is this? I mean, any... <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you want to do like a red light therapy session, I would be naked. I mean, okay. it's it's just going to be more effective. Um, but if you want to, I have mine on as ambient light and it's just a nice vibe. It feels good. It uplifts me. I don't have, I don't, I don't think that's a problem. Okay. Um, this get going outside. The most important thing is what's going on in your eye, right? Okay. Yeah, because it's a circadian signal. It's going to signal all those hormones. It, HPA, HPG axes all are signaled by that morning sunlight and thyroid, that serotonin production, all of that is through the eye, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Sorry, my mic is acting weird. Oh, um, no, it's suprachiasmatic okay. nucleus. So the skin exposure has different benefits. That's where you're making that subcellular melatonin. 
um, which you can do with a red light therapy panel. So I have people really push the panel more in the winter and you don't really need it as much in the summer if you're going outside and exposing your skin. Okay, that's super helpful. And then let's tell the audience really quickly why sunglasses are a terrible idea. I've been trying to explain this to my friends for decades. I haven't worn sunglasses and everyone's like, you're going to get wrinkles and I'll, I'll take the wrinkles because wearing sunglasses is, in my opinion, a disaster. Let's, let's share why. Yeah, I mean, so this whole hormonal cascade that I just spoke about that happens in the morning, your skin is also preparing to receive the stronger UV and eventually UVB, which is where we synthesize vitamin D or hormone D, whatever you want to call it. Um, that begins in the morning. So getting that proper signal into your eyes, sunglasses are going to block out those beneficial UV, red, near infrared, that all gets blocked out or portions of it. So it's not an accurate representation of actually what's going on outside. Sunglasses block that. So when your eyes are getting light in them, your skin is also preparing to receive that UV light or UVB light. So I don't ever want anyone to just go lay out in the sun for six hours if they don't have a solar callus. That's a whole other conversation. I will wear a hat if I'm out in really strong UVB because I I think you can photo age your skin. That is a thing. For sure. But um, the sunglasses are basically going to send a mixed signal to your skin. Um, we are not this like partioned off thing, like no system in the body just works on its own. Um, so there's so many things going on within that system. The eyes are telling hormones to release at specific times. And that includes the skin. Uh, there's also some studies that show sunglasses during the day tell your body to stop making cortisol and start making melatonin. Um, hmm. You don't want that. <laughs> right. You, you don't want to be making melatonin in the middle of the day. Right. Yes. It's a disaster. This is what I'm trying to tell people. I've been saying this for so long. And I remember being down in Mexico in the early, my daughter was like two and all these people were like, why aren't you wearing sunglasses? I'm like, dude, I'll just sit under the umbrella if I have to, but you're all messing your hormones up. I'm not having it. <laughs> I don't need it. Skin makes urocanic acid and that is kind of like a natural sunscreen. And yes, again, you have to build up a solar callus and I have a whole course on that called harnessing the power of the sun and it's how to slowly build this up and you have to practice like some common sense so if you're driving and you can't see and the sun is in your eyes pull a visor down or pop on a pair of sunglasses until you're out of that glare um i'm never really in that situation because i don't really drive a whole <laughs> i work from home with i'm with my kids um you know, if you're on snow and there's a huge glare and it's yes. going in your eye, you have to protect your eyes and you have to protect your skin. I think this conversation gets lost and it's another one of like people going on one side, the sun is evil, it's going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And then the sun can do no harm. It's, it's amazing. It's a life-giving force, which yes, it is. But if you're blonde hair and fair skin, please don't just decide one day in the middle of June, you're going to start sunbathing at noon um, and not expect to get burned. Yes. <laughs> and not expect to have some uh, photo aging of your skin. There's nuance to all of this. And Absolutely. There's, there's a way that we have to prepare our skin and protect our skin. Yes. I did a whole podcast about it called Safe Sunning and I, I, I broke down some of this, but... It's, it depends on where you're at too. You know, we were just in Hawaii and I'm so proud of myself. I have worked on my husband for years to slowly bring him around to our ways. <laughs> and he, as I'm sure many of you out there are working on your husbands, trying to get him to come around. And when I first met him, he was wearing sunglasses all the time, reflective sunglasses all the time. And he's got light blue eyes and, I, and light skin. And I said, dude, you gotta, gotta ditch the sunglasses. And he said, no, my eyes will burn. I'm like, J -j -j we're gonna work on this because I've also, found clinically that people who have really a lot of light sensitivity usually tend to have a pretty 
bottomed out HPA axis. So their adrenals are shot. Yeah, their thyroid and adrenals are usually their thyroid, or I start with their adrenals and then I'll go into their thyroid. And uh, once we get that working, they can handle the light in their eyes. And it's a slow, gradual process, but we were just in Hawaii and I looked at him and I said, I didn't, because we're in Hawaii, like that's a different sun. That's the, you know, Tropic of Cancer. And so we were putting on some sunblock, just we're both pretty tan, but we, and we both love to suntan, but we, both have tattoos we wanted to protect. And uh, we also didn't want to fry ourselves. And we've gotten really good at it. We also take astaxanthin and some internal you know, substances as natural sunblocks. So we got this thing dialed and we, we go on vacation enough. But I looked at him and I said, neither of us brought sunglasses. Should we go get some? Because the sun is intense. And he was like, no, we'll be fine. And I was so proud of him. We went 10 days and he never needed sunglasses. And that was a shocker to me because when I met the guy, it was sunglasses all the, sun, all the time. You know, So it's a real testament to your health and improving and your homeostasis working better when you can endure the sun. So to what you said, don't just go out and fry yourself. This is a process. You've got to build it up slowly and it's your eyes, it's your skin, it's your nutrition, it's your hormones. It's a lot of things that have to be working for you to tolerate sunlight directly. But we, if you can't tolerate sunlight, I always say that's that to me, that's a, um, gosh, I want to just put it it's a sign. I mean, it's a it's a sign of lack of vitality, really. And not being able to endure hot and cold is also a sign of lack of vitality. And I, I think it all plays into this. So anyway, that's my rant. Agree. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. And it, people get mad when you tell them this, but like we were saying earlier, sometimes you get these signs and it's like, all right, I have a chance to course correct here. I can do something different. This is not like a death sentence, you know? Yes. Yeah. People get mad over all kinds of things that you tell them, all, all sorts of truths, right? It's, it's, it conflicts with their paradigm that messes up their oxytocin and then they hate you. But often they'll come around. I get messages from people a lot that say, I was really angered by you back in whatever and now I'm your biggest fan. So I'm like, yeah, people come around, you know, it's just, these are inconvenient truths for a lot of people and that's, that's okay. <laughs> so, well, this has been so lovely and you're such a wealth of knowledge. I'm going to have you come back. We got some other things we got to talk about, but I just wanted to keep this conversation mostly to the light and the leptin and, and all the other uh, signaling molecules. So thank you so much. I want people to come find all of your wonderful resources. So let everybody know where to find you. What's the best places? Yeah, my website is www.sarahkleinerwellness.com. That's where you can find everything, courses. Um, I've got Instagram, it's at Sarah Kleiner Wellness, the Sarah Kleiner Wellness YouTube channel and the Evolving Wellness Podcast, which you just came on recently. So yeah, those are the best ways to find me and I'll make sure to send over all those links to you and your team. Perfect. We'll put them in the show notes so everybody can find you. You've got a wealth of resources. Your YouTube is amazing. I only just recently started diving in there and you guys, you got to go check it out and follow her on Instagram because she gives you daily really helpful tips and they keep me on track. So thank you for showing up and doing the work you're doing because it really has helped me quite a bit. I was having a rough go the past few years and your account and your content was one of the things that pulled me out of this tailspin of just chronic autoimmune you know, the stress had finally crushed me. So I really appreciate you. And I so love our friendship. So thanks for coming on the show. You, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.